Hey. Hey. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Um, I'm, I'm just going over. Yeah, I'm just going over some of the news uh, that's been happening this week. The news, you say? Mm, it's uh, a lot of interesting things. But uh, I guess. We- yeah. Yeah, I guess we get right into it then. Why not? So my name is Ernesto. And I'm Millie. And uh, we've decided to embark on this project that would combine our love with news and reporting with our passion for important conversations around media and, you know, and how we digest it. Yeah, definitely. So uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to Press Release. Um, we've both uh, been involved in the news industry for at least about five years, I'd say. Right, right, Mario or Ernesto? Sorry. Yes. Yeah. About five years each. I mess it up. Um, so if I ever uh, call him Mario, it's because I knew him in J school, in journalism school, and to me, he was not the the great Ernesto Carranza. He was he was just Mario. Uh, but we've both been involved in the news industry for about five years and we've had the chances to see firsthand what goes into a news story uh, from pitch to publication and we we thought it might be interesting if we share our thoughts I love that line, pitch to publication (laughs) I felt really bad about it (laughs) (laughs) Um, so each week, uh, you know, we plan on bringing you know, to whoever decides to put up with us and listen to this podcast uh, discussions on topics we see locally or nationally or internationally. Um, and it's all centered around the news, especially Canadian media and how they decide to cover it. Um, we both have our own experiences, like Millie said, and, you know, we feel there's room in, you know, the kind of medium media landscape to critically look at how um, Canadians may digest information or, or consume it. Um, for example, uh, you know, one headline I, I was reading today was uh, th- the PEI government has been investigating, you know, possibilities that people may have entered, you know, the province stowed away in cars. Yeah, um, that yeah. that was the headline that I I uh, was a little grabbed by for sure, for sure. And if if anyone's listening and they don't know where PEI is. It's Prince Edward Island in Canada. It's uh, the smallest province and we're uh, we're one of the four Atlantic provinces. Yes, I probably, should have, <laughs> I, probably should have, I probably should have mentioned that off the bat. Uh, you know, Millie and I are both based on PEI. So that's uh, that's where we're doing the podcast from. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it, it, you know, it was a headline that definitely caught my attention, um, especially that it came from one of our, um, you know, ministers, the public safety minister, Blois Thompson. Um, you know, he was saying that there's an investigation ongoing uh, into a couple of incidents, so more than one, of people trying to, you know, sneak onto the island, which is a relatively small community of 150,000 people. And uh, and stay here, I guess. I, I I'm not sure, um, but I think Millie, you had an interesting perspective on this. Yeah, so I think 
for me, I, I live on a dairy farm and I understand the importance of like temporary foreign workers mm-hmm. and, and we have a couple here and, and they're not temporary anymore. <laughs> they, they've gotten their, their, their citizenship per, per se or permanent residency and they're great. They're amazing human beings. I love them dearly. They're hilarious and they always do such great, amazing work. Um, but when I saw it, honestly, my first thought wasn't, oh, they want to come to PEI because it's safer because we have such a small amount of cases. We've only had 27, all of which have recovered. And we're like really batting above our weight right now in the sense that we've been able to keep a lot of islanders safe by following the rules. But when I saw that, I didn't think that people were wanting to come to PEI because of safety. I thought maybe it's maybe it's a TFW, like a temporary foreign worker who needed to get in the country or needs to get in the province. And this was just the way in. Because yeah. um, at the beginning of it all, farmers and, and the, the various agriculture industries were still deemed um, essential. But with the borders being shut down, it clearly pose problems right off the bat with how are we going to get our workers here if we we just can't simply get them here physically at all and that's honestly where my mindset was at first but you kind of almost had a different take yeah and i mean we i guess again we should probably put some context around this you know with covid19 uh, the pandemic going around globally um it is it's restricted a lot of travel between provinces in canada especially from the mainland to you know prince edward island and, you know, obviously Newfoundland Island has experienced much of the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's made working in a lot of industries extremely difficult. Um, but like you said, we've been really lucky. You know, people here have been pretty good for A, not traveling outside the province, B, not traveling a lot outside their homes. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, to me... Uh, there are a lot of like snowbirds that come back and forth between uh you know wherever they summer for the winter or winter (laughs) go you know go away to warmer climates for the winter and then come back for the Mm -hmm. summer here um i mean we do also have like a snowbird association just to establish like how popular that is we have a lot of and specifically we have a lot of islanders that do go down south uh to to kind of enjoy those warmer climates and honestly i don't blame them as someone who hates snow. <laughs> yeah it's nice to go away sometimes <laughs> but uh you know my mind jumps to that uh globe and mail uh kevin Bissett article uh you know talking about barry uh humberdstone you know a man that owns uh you know a house in northport pei and uh you know, he was denied access to come back to the island, you know, back mm-hmm. in back in April. So um, to my, when, when we're talking about people stowing away, I think of, oh, maybe it's, you know, people that have summer homes here or, you know, the land or family. They're trying to get back. And this is this is how they're trying to do that. But uh, <laughs> it seems a little I'm not sure a little kind of ridiculous to do that but you know teach mm-hmm. their own um but yeah that that was you know one of the headlines that jumped out to me this this uh this week um and you know we're going to be talking a lot of, about you know stories that kind of catch our eyes and and particularly how we we you know as media cover it um i thought i thought it was interesting that the cbc only had a slight blurb 
Um, I tried to find some more on it, but it, it seems like a lot of people are just working off the CBC kind of quick blurb on, you know, the minister saying that uh, there has been, there are, there have been investigations into this kind of stowaway situation. Yeah. And when that, when that kind of stuff happens, it's almost, unless we can obviously find someone who's maybe seen it or has evidence of it, it's, it's one of those situations where you got to really kind of take it at value and, and Mm -hmm. then do the, the background digging as it were to, to confirm the source. Like we're not saying by any stretch of the imagination that this is a falsehood or anything like that, but it's like, it's great that we have someone speaking towards it, especially if it's been something that's been inquired about before. Mm -hmm. Um, but then at the same time, I always wonder if this has been something that's been on the radar, well, because if they allegedly know of two instances that, that are being in, investigated, mm-hmm. has it been inquired about before? If it has, why has it been sat on almost? Like, why hasn't there been more to address the concerns? Because honestly, mm-hmm. PEI being so small, people really talk to each other uh, and talk about what's going on in their communities because it's just so tight knit. There's no other way around it. So whether or not it was like something official that that had to be said by a minister or was the talk of the area, in this case, it would have been Borden Carlton, which is where the Confederation Bridge is, which is the bridge people would have allegedly been smuggled over into uh, to come into PEI. Mm-hmm. Um, someone's got to know something, as it were, you would think. But that's just me. But I'm also like really cynical, so don't take me at face value. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. And also, I think it's one of those things where when you have a small community like Prince Edward Island, um, you know, word gets around fast. And a lot of the time, it's like a game of telephone. You know, a lot of information is misconstrued or missing or, you know, misunderstood. So um, I think it's important to have information out there available for people. That way they don't, you know, start calling on their neighbor because they saw a new person at their house the other day. You know what I mean? Like mm. not everything is, not everyone is a stowaway and not everything is suspicious, but I also, I think that that's why it's important to, like you said, have that information, you know, readily available. Cause you know, you're right. Someone does know something. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's as a joke, but yeah. the only way I'm concerned of is a spider in my car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely get that, yeah. Just get um, it out of my vehicle, anyway. <laughs> and on this podcast, too, you know, we'll be we'll be talking to, you know, we have a lot of connections in the in the media, you know, we'll be talking to reporters. That sounds like William there, Ernesto. But we have had the privilege to get to to get to know some people, including, like, our instructors from Holland College were, were some really great people, um, uh, the two I'm, I worked closely with uh, were, were Rick McLean and, and Wayne Young. And um, I feel like it's safe to say that they're like prolific in, in our world of journalism, especially on PEI or, or in the Maritimes for the work that they've done, which is great because they're awesome dudes. So, Yeah. And I, not just, I mean, obviously they're our men, they were our mentors and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've gotten to a lot of different stages in our life because of them. Um, but, you know, we've been able to meet a lot of great reporters too in Atlantic Canada. Um, yeah. And, you know, it'll be great to talk to them just a little bit 
about their experiences, what they see, some maybe some of their criticisms. Um, and you how know, do they tackle the story even? Because we all have, especially the mm-hmm. way that I've seen it. Um, and you and I have both moved from from re- strictly reporting roles to to also editing roles. I always find it so interesting to see how a specific repor- reporter tackles a story or tackles a scenario because everyone's approach yeah. is different. I know my own approach is different. Usually, if I'm driving home from an assignment, I'm thinking of the lead in my head. Uh, if for context, the lead is usually the first sentence of the story that really leads people into it and gets you hooked on it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, and uh, I completely agree. There's a lot um, of great kind of resource out there. Um, and yeah, it's untapped. I think it's it would be good to, to kind of get in co- contact with people like that. And, you know, we'll have hopefully future segments where we can talk about things uh, you know, in certain ways, like OTR, this is Millie's great idea for <laughs> a segment. Uh, OTR obviously stands for off the record, and uh, it, it'll be something for people to kind of get an honest take or an honest opinion about certain subjects. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll definitely be covering everything from, you know, how, you know, media is paid for <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> reporters getting adequately paid to uh report um to anything like uh you know uh racial makeup of of canadian media and u.s media to Mm -hmm. you know um the lack of kind of like female reporting female editing in a lot Mm -hmm. of news stories and and just lack of representation in general so yeah yeah um it's we're and we're gonna get heated. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's maybe an understatement. Forward, uh, we'll take. We're just gonna take a quick break, and by break, I mean I'm going to make uh, a cup of tea, <laughs> and we'll be back <laughs> for the overarching segment. In this case, we're gonna be talking about. Uh, I would like to say drumroll, please, but it's, I feel like it's probably obvious: the coronavirus, or as it is known, COVID nineteen strain. Yeah, so if you're just catching us now before the break, we talked a little bit about um, who we are, uh, this podcast press release, and uh, just a little bit about how a local news story has been covered where uh, the minister, uh, or a minister, sorry, on PEI has um, addressed the possibility that some people have been, I don't want to say smuggled, but uh, brought over the Confederation Bridge and and onto the island and uh, without maybe the the proper um steps especially while we are in this COVID-19 quarantine Mm -hmm. and that brings me to the overarching discussion of the coronavirus and by (laughs) coronavirus I mean COVID-19 so do you know what uh what COVID-19 stands for or not no I don't uh tell me (laughs) Okay, so COVID-19, and I would like to thank the people at this podcast will kill me, the errands, as they were, uh, for really enlightening me. This is another podcast by uh, a network called Exactly Right, and they do amazing stuff, and I'm absolutely obsessed with them. But they have really done the the work to break down uh, um, what coronavirus is and how to understand it and things like that. But COVID-19 
specifically means the CO is for coronavirus, the VI is for virus, and the D is for disease. And the 19 that's in that name is for the year it was discovered. So coronavirus disease 2019. So it was discovered, what, late last year in, uh, in the city of Wuhan in China, would you say there, Ernesto? Yeah, uh, I believe it's the Hubei province. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so most recently, and I think this is really coming up again now, um, they've had some more cases discovered and, and found. And that's, to me, very terrifying in the sense that um, is there the possibility of a second wave? Um, the According to a BBC article that was published on the 11th, I'm sorry, right now I do not have the author's name, but if I find it, I will put it in the description notes. Um, uh, he, they reported that a new cluster of the virus had been discovered. And the last time there were reported cases um, in the area had been on April 3rd. So that's more than a month. So they had a they had a good period of time. But these new confirmed cases, that I'm saying new in air quotes, um, were all in the same residential compound. And they were all uh, supposedly, or not supposedly, it's said um, that they were asymptomatic cases of the virus, meaning these people tested positive for the virus before um, but weren't exhibiting the, the typical signs like a cough or a fever and everything else that has gone with it. So since the pandemic, as it were, has had started since December, let's say, um, there it has spread to 215 countries, uh, areas, and territories around the world, according to the WHO, the World Health Organization. There have been 287,525 deaths and 4,179,479 cases. So those are some pretty big numbers. And if I'm being honest, I did write them out in word form, so I would know how to say them. Mm-hmm. Um, but with all of that and, and seeing uh, and hearing those numbers, and then I got, a, I got a text from my friend today going, and she just goes, second wave starting in Wuhan. And it's funny because she and I had been in contact before when I was working on a story uh, about the Spanish flu. And... Um, you're seeing a lot of uh, outlets, the one I work for included, um, because I did the story, compare <laughs> the way the world has re- um, responded to coronavirus as similar to the Spanish flu. And to me, honestly, that seems very accurate. Here on PEI, there was immediate cancellation of a lot of things. A lot of places closed their doors. Funerals have been um, kind of <laughs> called off in a way, and same with wakes and, and other gatherings thing. and the same thing happened uh, when it happened when the spanish flu hit the island and so knowing those little things and and knowing that there was a second wave of the spanish flu what what are your thoughts uh, ernesto you know it's always the same with these type of um you know diseases or infections there's always kind of like who's to blame for all of this um who's to mm-hmm. you know who can we point the finger at and say, this is why it happened. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone's heard that common story of, you know, uh, there was a a Chinese person in in the city of Wuhan that, or around the the province that had bought, you know, some tainted meat, uh, maybe bat or pangolin. And, you know, 
they ate it, they contracted this infection, and they spread it to other people. Um, you know, there isn't really a lot of with these things. It's always hard to trace exactly the pinpoint and when it all started. Um, we can definitely pinpoint the area. We can definitely pinpoint the reasons, maybe. But um, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard because although it originated in this in, in this city, in this province, in this country, um, it's been determined that the people that have been spreading the most have been Europeans. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, Mongolia was found to have no cases, you know, during the time of, uh, you know, all of this arising, you know, in, in, mm-hmm. in January and, and late February. Um, but uh, they were able to trace back kind of when it started in Mongolia to a Frenchman who had been traveling, you know, through Moscow, through Asia and, and, and spreading it elsewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. The same in uh, South Africa, um, you know, uh, an Italian man who had been living in South Africa and taking ski trips in Northern Italy uh, came back and had spread it there too when okay. there had virtually been no cases. So um, I think, you know, oftentimes with these things, instead of saying, are we prepared for it? Uh, or asking the questions, are we prepared for these type of events? It's always kind of reactive, like, why weren't we, you know, mm-hmm. uh, ready for this? Uh, and mo- most of the time, you know, and I'm guilty of this too, we tend to point fingers and be like, this is where it started. It's these people's fault. You know, we wouldn't mm-hmm. be in the situation without this. But really, you know, it's it, it, it comes down to, um, I think, asking appropriate questions as, as you know, reporters should and also thinking critically about it because you know there have been warnings prior to this about how you know pandemics especially with the changing climate um Mm -hmm. how pandemics would become more prevalent so yeah Yeah. i uh and so hmm. for context uh if anyone is interested in in reading a little bit more about um the the over arching spread of uh, COVID-19. Uh, we're talking about a, an article from uh, Joe Penny with The Intercept. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and he, it's, a, it's a really eye-opening because I honestly don't think I thought it of this way. And, I, and not because I uh, am like so tunnel visioned into thinking that uh, it is, of course, the, the people's fault in, in where mm-hmm. these maybe markets would have been or like honestly i'm blaming the bat like i'm not blaming anyone like no one could have seen this coming i mean no. there's some science behind it. but in in reality i think it also comes down to the um the responses made collaboratively mm-hmm. like we saw um immediately and i sorry i just clicked my fingers if, if y'all heard that Immediately, we saw responses from different areas of the world in different measures. It's not necessarily been um, like a like a, a band-aid effect, or it's not been like an, a blanket that's kind of covered it and it's like this is what we're going to do as mm-hmm. a world to stop the spread of this. And and there's a direct quote that I just have in front of me um, from that same article by Joe Penny, and it goes, "One of the reasons 
European travel facilitated the spread of the coronavirus was because those countries were late to close air links. Italy closed one terminal of Milan's main airport on March 16th mm. when the northern mm. region of Lombardy had already had almost 4,000 cases. It's 3,760 for a population of 10 million people. By contrast, mm-hmm. China had shut down flights out of Ubei province on January 23rd. So that's like maybe about a month or a little less than than when kind of the whistle was blown, as it were, as it were, um, mm-hmm. where there were only cases uh, about 500 uh, worldwide. And the deaths at that time were about 17 among a population of 58 million. Um, London's Heathrow and Paris's Charles de Gaulle open as cases soared in both cities, while Spain's air operators only closed major terminals in Madrid and Barcelona when air traffic had ground to a halt anyway. So w- mm-hmm. we've seen these responses to different levels. Uh, and I think that could could be a big contributor. And <laughs> I always think of it uh, specifically for the sporting world. It was it was a complete domino effect. Mm-hmm. Would, yeah. you, would you say the response? I, I completely agree. It was like as soon as, you know, I think back to, um, you know, the NBA – um, mm-hmm. I believe it was, uh, you know, one NBA team had <clears throat> five or six or seven of their players test positive for coronavirus right away, and all of a sudden the NBA were shut down. You, mm-hmm. you know, that, and they and they were still playing games, and this was, you know, not that long ago, maybe like a, a month or two ago, and uh, and and it really sent a shock through the whole, you know, professional sports world, NHL, mm-hmm. MLB, tennis, uh, you know, uh, major league soccer. Yeah, exactly. A home mm-hmm. with a fan of Manchester United and is the daughter of a Tottenham Hotspurs fan. Uh, both my partner and my father are dying without their soccer or football, depending on where you are. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> And for those wondering, it was the Utah Jazz. It was their players that had first, uh, yes, that had contracted yeah. the coronavirus. So, and there, um, there was a European soccer team's manager, I believe it was, uh, who had gone and co- and been in contact with another team. These two teams were playing, and uh, he had been in contact with maybe another coach or player or something. Where uh, by him contacting that individual or that team and then coming and seeing his own team ended up mm-hmm. spreading it like that so it's crazy how this virus works and and seeing it like that but in speaking of of uh, games still going on when these decisions are being made it makes me think of the the video that was on twitter i think it's of mark cuban right is, is he a basketball mm-hmm. team owner <laughs> Do, yes, have you seen it where he's mind. like he's sitting and he has his phone in front of him and something clearly comes on and apparently allegedly it's like him getting the notice that like the nba season's done like it's completely called off and you can him go wtf and as like awful as it is i will have to laugh because it's like that it was the reaction of probably everyone like my partner watched sports uh net and center every morning religiously got the updates one mm-hmm. one time. So it's 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 been a huge chunk of people's lives uh, that have been cut off, and I think it was an unpopular, but I think very necessary decision for the safety of others and for the players themselves, because you know, safety first, guys. Well, exactly, and I mean, people are at home. 
you know, I personally, uh, <laughs> I feel it, and I'm sure you and your dad feel it too, where, you know, when you're at home, you really do want to watch a Premier League, you know, mm-hmm. game, or, you know, you want to watch an NBA game because, I mean, that that's what you do in your home regularly. Yeah. If there were if there were no virus, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, we and we're gonna try to finish off every podcast with a funny tweet we've seen, um, you know, during the week, and you know, or something that interested us, or you know, something that you know made us go, huh? So uh, mm. you know, I'll, I'll go first. I saw a okay. uh, pretty funny tweet from uh, Beth. I believe I'm pronouncing this right, Newell. Uh, she's one of the co-founder, or she she is a co-founder of Reductress, uh, and uh, she hosts uh, the We Know Pod as well. Um, her she wrote, "My four year old just asked, do the weeks never stop?" Which I think is like <laughs> pretty apt because uh, it just seems like no, one they long, don't. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been one long excruciating week it seems <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think I think that is uh like an accurate uh I was my sister-in-law in Newfoundland um she has a little oh, over a year old baby and and two kids and in Newfoundland they've like they've called off the school year and they called it off pretty early on and I mean they're still like e-learning and stuff like that but the mm-hmm. idea of the kids getting back in, into the school buildings was like called off pretty quickly and I just remember my sister-in-law in Newfoundland posting a video to Instagram where uh, uh, the little older than one-year-old's uh, son is in the high chair, probably waiting for breakfast or is at breakfast or something, and the two kids are running back and forth in the kitchen area. And it's like, six more months of summer! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's like, oh, I could only imagine. So that tweet resonates that moment in my family and me because it's just like, I can only imagine the feeling of being like six more months of summer. <laughs> it's so, it's uh, so funny. Um, but OTR, my, uh, my little tweet. <laughs> and this audibly, I was scrolling this morning just trying to see if there was any new news stories that I could report on or anything like that. And it made me just go, ha, like full stop, capital H, capital A, period. So it was a tweet by uh, presidential candidate Joe Biden. And... So he had retweeted uh, the current president, Donald J. Trump, and uh, Trump had tweeted transition, I think, transition to greatness. And Biden had retweeted it and said that that is the plan. (laughs) (laughs) And it broke me for a little while. I was like, yeah, that is the plan. (laughs) I don't know, but uh, to each his own. But it was one thing that was like, that is a good, that whoever runs your social media account has a good sense of uh, satire and is good at being is, is just good at getting that jab or that right hook in. And I, I really thought that was uh, a great off the record uh, little punch. No, it's so true. Like <laughs> the, 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 I, I could never do that job because it's so clever and so like off the cuff that mm. you gotta wonder how these people, you know, anyway, I'm sure they're getting pay, paid very well. <laughs> I hope, I hope. But uh, yeah, so this has been the, I guess, the first official episode, provided we like the way we sound after we end, uh, of press release. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Millie McKay. I'm Ernesto Carranza. 
Thanks so much. And uh, we, if all goes well, we'll leave uh, links in the description show notes, um, an email if anyone wants to get in contact with us. The social media is applicable. And uh, artwork has by um, Taylor Winchester. She's a great person. She has her own little business as well. Uh, and I believe it's Taylor Tries Art. So big shout out to Taylor for the, the cover art for this podcast. And we'll see you next time. Or you'll hear us next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye.